0: Welcome to the Wonder Years Podcast, where we discuss principles and practices of nurturing a quiet growing time for children in the early years. In the midst of life's duties and delights, we can cultivate a richly humane life of truth, goodness, and beauty that feeds even the littlest of souls. I am your host, Amanda Foss, and together with my co-host, Brooke Johnson, we invite you to join us as we talk about how to craft homes that lead our children from wonder to worship to wisdom to work for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Let us make the education of the youths our own education and go further up and further in together. God bless you and good day to all of our listeners. Welcome to the Wonder Years podcast. Um, I'm your host, Amanda Foss, together with my friend, Brooke Johnson, and I'm going to start us off with prayer. Master, lover of mankind, make the pure light of your divine knowledge shine in our hearts and open the eyes of our mind to understand the message of your gospel. Implant in us the fear of your blessed commandments so that having trampled down all carnal desires, we may change to a spiritual way of life, thinking and doing all things that are pleasing to you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and to you we give glory, together with your Father who is without beginning and your all holy, good and life-giving spirit, now and forever and to the ages of ages, amen. Brooke, this is our introductory episode to the Wonder Years podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I am happy to be here. And this is really interesting. I looked back and a year ago this month, we were on Podcastle doing an interview That's with right. our dear friend. And here we are, a year later, doing another yes. podcast. It's amazing.
0: It's amazing how much can happen in a, in a year, because at that point, that was when the first discussions of a podcast came up. But at that point, I think I was about three months pregnant and, yes. you know, that was number five. And I was like, yeah, there's no, there's no podcasting in my near future. So we'll see how we're doing next year. But uh, in the providence of God, he happened to give me a very chill baby who like Amen. slept through the night fairly early. That. So I'm not like some sleep deprived mother with my eight month old, Thank God, because there have been other babies that were not that way. (laughs) Um, And yet that has provided the opportunity for us to do this podcast, which really is a passion project for both of us, something we're so excited about, classical education. And yet, again, because of the season of life we are in, we have spent a lot more time thinking about it for the early years because that's the season we're in, right?
1: Right, right. And so just to let you know a little bit about me, my name is Brooke. I'm married to Mitch and we have been married for 11 years. We have two boys. We recently just moved to the Gulf coast of Florida and it is wonderful. It is very warm, but we are still getting adjusted to a new city, a new church. My husband is a pastor. And so, yeah, so that's just kind of been our last little bit. So, a year ago when we were talking about this and praying about this. And at that point, it was the Lord willing podcast where we just <laughs> asked the Lord, you know, here's a desire that we have. And if God, if you would have, you know, in your plan and providence that this could work out, do it. And, um, but we have transitioned since then. And so we're not in the same community or the same place. And so I just think God knowing all of that back then, and just really telling us in different ways and for our different families just hold off and so this just feels like a really sweet season to be able to, to talk with you really just make our boxers public i guess is what it feels like a little <laughs> bit it's just kind of just a
0: rather, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a little less all over the place but um just yes, we, it share. is cheating
0: when you get an outline I, I mean this is really my dream because an outline can, will, will keep us anchored, and yet yeah. we can just have that yeah. conversation that, like you said, we would be having anyway, yeah. so uh, that's super fun. Uh, yeah, I'll introduce myself as well. Yeah. So my name is Amanda Foss. Um, I Like I mentioned, I have five children. They range in ages from eight years old to the baby is eight and a half months right now. Um, I've been married to my husband, Patrick, for 12 years, my St. Patrick. Uh, he <laughs> He's a wonderful guy, I think, being married 12 years at this point, I don't know where He ends and I begin, it's like, we are, we both are so passionate about classical education. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was really the one who I can give credit for this podcast Mm -hmm. even happening because I was like, no, like, you know, I just need to focus on, you know, our kids right now. And he's like, no, like, this is such a good thing that you could do with Brooke. Like, I really think you guys should do it. And um, he is, yeah, just as passionate about classical education as I am. So Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful for his support and encouragement in this to get to do this. Um, I was homeschooled, I was the oldest of 13 kids. And I don't have anything bad to say about any of those things, which makes me pretty special on the internet, because I feel like either of those things is people telling you all their horror stories, but I have no horror stories. I like my family. I like being homeschooled. And Mm -hmm. right now, actually, like you mentioned, we had gone through life transitions. Um, I just recently moved back home to live close to my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have my sister in my co-op My mom is there helping doing like literature class with us. And basically, we're just like living the homeschool mom's dream. So my mom is a very happy woman right now. But uh, it's been such a joy to be back by family and some of our closest friends. And I'm just so thankful for how even having that support system has afforded us the ability to do this. But now that you know a little bit about who we are, um, what we thought about for today is we thought, how do we introduce this podcast? How do we really help everyone know what we're about and what we're going to be discussing in this upcoming season. Uh, We just had the idea to walk through our intro, you heard the intro before um, our faces came on the screen, if you're watching the video, and the intro really was well thought out, we spent a lot of time trying out different phrases, thinking through different ideas and how we wanted to include them or what to include what not to include. And so for this podcast episode, we're just going to go through and walk through what the intro says and explain what is all these amazing ideas that are behind it because it is there's so much rich things to talk about. So we'll just start off with the very, very beginning, right? Uh, welcome to the Wonder Years Podcast. That is our name. And Brooke, when I I had thrown out a couple names to you, and yet as soon as I said Wonder Years Podcast, you just jumped on that one. We're like, that's the one. So share with us, what was it about the idea of wonder and the wonder years that just caught your attention?
1: Okay, so to be fair, um, I had just finished reading the liberal arts tradition, which that's a whole nother story where we could just start about how two years ago when we began our homeschool journey where my bookshelves had to change pretty significantly. And so um, that's another We can talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) No
0: change, just add. We'll just keep adding.
1: Yeah, so this was a book that, I mean, if if not given to me or recommended, I don't think I ever would have picked up. And I realize now how sad that that would have been because if you've not read it or if you have, then Kevin Clark and Robbie Jane do um, just a beautiful job of just walking through um, in a very beginner. It just felt very... I won't even say like easy to read but i just i i understood the flow of thought i could see how they were building this out and talking about the great tradition and if you have the great tradition book which i have right here that i'm looking at it can be very overwhelming for a new mom to look at that and start to read through this great tradition and this you know classical just conversation that has been happening for so many years. And so I will say that I had just finished reading that as we were talking about this. And so that, um, really was for me when, when they were able to show, and I think it was the chapter on arithmetic where they brought in how arithmetic classically was to inspire wonder it just, I mean, I dog-eared so many of those pages to come in and like narrate them to my husband because my mind just was blown at how you could and, and how it was understood for so many years that this was the way that education was and that we have just, you know, in the last couple hundreds of years have really missed and lost that. And so it was almost just understanding historically, that that this is part of the faith that I hold. I mean, this was the faith that for me saved me at a freshman in college. And it was just kind of like rediscovering that. It's just what it felt like. And so the wonder aspect, I just have to say that really reading that and seeing how this is just part of my heritage. It just for me was like, it has to be that. It has to be that. And it probably helps. That i have two boys and they are just as wild and wonderful and i instinctively when i became a mom and then i knew that i had you know these two boys i really wanted to guard and protect boyhood for them and that was all i could say i I didn't have the language of all of the right terminology that's in the classical world but there was just something that i saw where i wanted to protect this because i saw all around me everything just speeding up. And um, so, yeah, so I think for me, it was really reading home education where Charlotte Mason gave me the language that I had been trying to implement in my home, but it just kind of felt isolated. And I'm just trying to do this on my own, detached from any, anything or anyone. And so reading um, home education gave me the language and then Charlotte Mason just opened up the classical world for me and what we like to say the wardrobe i walk through and um i'm never going back so
0: yeah it's definitely a very common experience that i think we share that when you encounter classical education it's like this spiritual rebirth and you're sitting there like but like i already came to christ and yet yeah. i feel reborn like what mm-hmm. just happened right <laughs> um, it's this it is this wonder-filled thing mm-hmm. i think that as moms when we're encountering that sense of wonder ourselves and what we're right. reading and what we're learning about or what we're listening to, if it's a teacher, maybe online, we want to take that sense of wonder and transmit it to our children. The first time I heard wonder used as it pertained to classical education was a few years ago. I did some courses on classicalu.com with Dr. Dr. Christopher Perrin, and he had one that was just an introduction to classical education. And in that book, he talked about what he said This he said, all knowledge begins with wonder, enjoyment, delight, awe, and curiosity. And I think, especially to a modern mind, we're like, what, like you can know stuff and not be, have wonder. And yet that's where it comes down to the definition of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. And the classical definition of knowledge was not just facts in your brain, it was a relational knowledge, right? Right. And so there's a very real sense in which, like you brought up with arithmetic, but in so many things, right? That we have to have that awe, that humility, Mm -hmm. uh, that wonder at God's world as we are learning and we want our children to experience that as well. Um, the, The definition of wonder from Cambridge Dictionary is a feeling of great surprise and admiration caused by seeing or experiencing something that is strange and new. Which of course, if you think of a child, everything is strange and new. The whole world is strange and new. And that is one of the great joys of being a mom, right? Is you get to watch this person who is discovering God's world in all its beauty for the first time. And so often we get to really receive back our own wonder through parenting and through observing them and watching them. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet at the same time, I know we feel the tension that Mm -hmm. this world has fallen and Mm -hmm. our kids aren't just perpetually walking around in awe and amazement, right? They still struggle with sin and sometimes acting like disinterested in things or not having the curiosity we would hope they would have. Mm -hmm. And so there's that tension there of, they have this innate curiosity mm-hmm. and wonder and yet we have to as mothers nurture and cultivate that sense mm-hmm. in them that whole idea this whole idea of how children have it but then also how often part of humanity is that we don't feel the wonder we should have um, can be summarized in a quote that i've been quoting for years that i just love um, from chesterton in his book orthodoxy that i wanted to share he said because children have a bounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown up people are not strong enough to exult in mon- monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be the automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have simply grown old and our father is younger than we. Mm-hmm. And when I think about what that sense that I want to maintain and recover in our homeschool, it is that sense that is full of awe and reverence for God, right? That is reflecting that heart of God that we don't get bored with daisies. We don't get bored at, oh, it's just another tree. No, every time is an opportunity for worship. Every time is an opportunity, opportunity to be amazed at our creator, God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just, we're going to dive into more uh, that Dr. Perrin says about that topic later, but um, let's keep going. So uh, one of the, the next things we say in our intro is that this podcast will be discussing principles and practices. So Brooke, talk to us about that. What are that's- principles and practices and why do they matter?
1: Okay, so I'm going to quote Charlotte Mason, and in her, I mean, she has 20 principles of education, and we are both Charlotte Mason, classical Charlotte Mason, is what we would say, moms. But she says, um, "For what, after all, are principles but those motives of first importance which govern us and move us in thought and action?" Um, and I'll just quote um, Cambridge Dictionary to when they say principle. It is a basic idea or rule that explains or controls how something happens now the idea in my mind when i think of this i think of let's just say a plant for example we just moved from three acres we had a garden we had chickens we had the whole thing now here on the gulf coast we don't have any of those things but at one time i was gardening and if i brought a plant inside that needed sunlight required water. But I just liked the way that it looked. And I decided that I'm going to stick it over here in the dark and not feed it, not water it, not give it sunlight. It's not going to grow. In fact, it's going to die rather quickly. Well, the principle is that plants require roots and soil and growth and water and sunlight and all of that to grow. So no matter what I decided I was going to do or how I was going to say to the plant, no, I want you plant to come inside to live with me because, you know, I've just decided that it's not going to grow. And a principle works that way. It is it is truth, um, generally speaking that this is just the way that the world works. And we have different, you know, there, there are moral principles, there are educational principles. And um, Charlotte Mason would go on to use the example of fire burns and water flows. Those are just two things that they're not changing. Fire is always going to burn and it's going to continue to burn. And water, if you put it in a porous, you know, dish, it's going to flow out. And those things aren't changing just because you decide that they're gonna change or, or you want them to. And so a principle just kind of acts like that, where for me it think I think of it as like guardrails, where this is just what what Psalm 16 talks about, that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And I think of that often that God has given us in wisdom principles for the way that human beings are formed. He's given us principles in the way that um, marriage works best. He's given us principles of, you know, like I said, just like gardening principles and just the way that he has created his world to work. And we can decide to submit ourselves to those or not, but the principle still stands. Like that's not changing. But I actually took a class from my friend, Amanda Foss, who talked about, (laughs) who talked about this in a, in a much deeper way that was so insightful. I mean, over a year ago, I think, right, you did a class on Aristotle's, you know, the the cause, Lord the causes, classes. which was so new to me. I had I had never heard of that until you did this class, and I still, right before the school year started, I went I went back and listened to it because it was so foundational for me.
0: Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> You know, I was just, the reason I did the class was because I went to Brandy and was like, this is the most, uh, my teacher, Brandy Venzel at Afterthoughts. Yeah. And I went to her and was like, this is the most amazing thing. Like we need to make a guidebook for this information. And what like, and she kindly allowed me to be included in that, which I was so thankful for. Yeah. Um, but as you're talking, I'm listening to you and it really was just making me think how the question of authority is a big topic today, mm-hmm. right? Because we live yeah. in a time where everyone is being told to look into themselves, right. to you know find the truth inside, follow your heart as Disney mm-hmm. will tell us over mm-hmm. and over again. And the classical tradition, classical Christianity comes in to tell us that your heart is deceitful. Mm-hmm. It's not always right. And in fact, you need to look to scripture to the the divine revelation of god and then even general revelation in creation Mm -hmm. to learn and to receive knowledge Mm -hmm. and it's a very different orientation that we are submitting to knowledge and that we are as opposed to ruling it and i think that's a big mind shift that i had over the past few years that i used to treat knowledge as something to be like dominated like oh i can i can master this topic right we live in the day of the expert and by expert we mean they spent a certain number of years that means that they can be trusted on that topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but really, knowledge is so much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the, the authority for a person is not in themselves, even for a quote, unquote, expert, it need right. a, a true expert will be someone who has gone to the sources, has looked to the ancient paths of wisdom on mm-hmm. whatever area they are, you know, interested in or studying, and then can express that and communicate it. And I know for both you and I, we are not here to share our opinions. We're not interested in that. Like, we are both 30-something. We are not sitting here thinking that we have any wisdom in ourselves to offer anyone, which is why talking about principles before we address practices is so important because we know that there is a need in the classical world to be talking more about what are the practices of these principles for young children because so often the... Content is geared towards those with, you know, either children already in school lessons and above, understandably, because, you know, it's about education, generally speaking. Um, And yet one thing we know from Charlotte Mason is that education does not start at six years old. It's your whole life. It starts back even when they're little. Um, And so we want to be talking about those practices and the practical ways to apply that. We know as moms, you know, the number one way we tend to think as mothers is what can I do in this situation? How can I help? What can I how what can I feed my child or nourish their soul in this way or we think very practically. Mm-hmm. But we don't wanna start with the practices because what ends up happening is that we often could intake practices that actually were built upon principles that are harmful, right? Whether that's a low view of man or something else. And so just as you're speaking, that just came into my mind. Like this well, it is did, the
1: goal it, it, it ends up it ends up working against right your ideal. So if you have, which for us who are Christians and certainly in the classical tradition, Christ is our ideal type, right? That's where we're headed. That's where we're moving. And that's where we are moving our family and our children. And so when you, and, and this is so common, I see this. And, and I felt this because I am very new to thinking this way, I would say within the last two years. And if we just really, right the second, pause this, and winning and got on Instagram, which is really, I would say, our generations, this generation now that is homeschooling, where we go to look for inspiring ideas, or we see a friend, or we, you know, that's just kind of where we are at, where most women our age are at, and what's what's in a way unhelpful is that we will go there looking just for the practical. Tell me what to do on Monday morning. Today was Monday. We had, you know, a scaled back lessons today. And, you know, but I can remember feeling that angst of, these are all great ideas. These are great principles. I do not know how to sit down, you know, at the table on Monday and then practice them. And so when we then go to these places or look at these blogs or listen to these podcasts and we're just looking for the principle, just what you said, if we don't have the principles or the philosophy in place, then we can very easily adopt and start to implement in our home practices that are working against, those principles that we are really, and we won't know it. I think that's, I think that's the biggest danger is we will think, right. And, in all of our zeal and all of our excitement in these little years, we will think, see, we're doing the right thing when in reality, it's really working against the larger vision because we're zooming, we're zooming in just thinking, what do I do today? But instead we really need to be thinking education is a long view you know we have to be thinking at the of the person you know at the end right right what what is the goal at the end of my homeschool career and that is going to help again for me thinking of guardrails that's going to help me decide what i bring into my home what i practice in my home when i really keep that in view but there is a great temptation just to kind of jump straight to the practices because we just need to know what to do and we don't want to waste these years or what am I supposed to do if I'm not doing education yet formally? Am I just like twiddling my thumbs and building blocks? Is that all that we're supposed to be doing? And sometimes it can feel like that. And so um, so, yeah, so I, I just think it is and I felt that way, too. I felt this all sounds so great. I love everything I'm hearing. I don't know what to do because I was not educated classically and I was not educated even in homeschooling in in a way that really honored the image bear. And so I really have, I mean, I just said we just finished first grade and I just went through first grade again, classically. And so, and and it was so um, humanizing for me. I mean, it was so life-giving at 32 doing first grade all over again was a gift to me.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's where I'm really excited because our first episode after this one is going to be all about the mother's life, becoming a mother of virtue and how we as mothers, instead of the modern mindset of, oh, being a mom to preschoolers, is you get down on their level and dumb yourself down to them, instead, the classical mindset is no, we invite our children into a rich and humane life into truth, goodness, and beauty that we are embodying in our, in our food, in our books, in our time together, spent as a family, on our walks, in our nature study. All of these things come together to create a holistic life that doesn't just feed the soul of a child, but also the soul of the mom as well. Um, uh, we could talk about that all day. So we're gonna keep going. Uh, the next thing we say is that we're discussing the principles and practices of nurturing a quiet growing time for children in the early years. Now that phrase, a quiet growing time, Is famous or infamous, I should say, in the classical Charlotte Mason world at this point. Um, But it was actually a quote taken regarding children being outdoors, being outside, in Charlotte Mason's volume titled Home Education, which I'll read right now. She said, in this time of extraordinary pressure, educational and social, perhaps a mother's first duty to her children is to secure for them a quiet growing time, a full six years of passive, receptive life, the waking part of it spent for the most part out in the fresh air. So that's the original context to the, at this point, fast forward to today. And generally speaking, people will use that phrase of a quiet growing time just to refer to children, maybe six and below, right? Before formal lessons have begun. Um, At the same time, something that's really important to both Brooke and I, as we do this podcast is to emphasize that the early years are not a stage to progress from, but are Mm -hmm. a foundation for a person's whole life. And so it is not, nothing that we talk about, even if we're talking about things as it pertains to say babies and toddlers, uh, in the motherhood episode, I hope to talk a little about a little bit about even pregnancy and what, how we can prepare as pregnant mothers for these seasons of having children. Um, but regardless of what we're talking about in that way, it's not that, oh, this will only work until they're five and then you're done. Like it, once it's six years old, first grade, it's time to hit the books and you know, hit the ground running. No, you're slowly building up in the early years, working towards those first years of lessons. And then even when you're in that, what um, Charlotte Mason called form one or uh, first, second and third grade, that is still a gentle, slow expansion happening where each year you're layering on a little bit more, you're spending a little more time on lessons, you're helping them grow that habit of attention. And it's very gentle, but it's also more than anything, a deepening of things you have already begun even before they were school age, right? We don't we don't start looking at God's world at six years old, right? We have begun that habit of attention and looking and observing flowers and trees and rocks and little creatures and the bunny rabbits or goats or whatever animal someone has. All of those things are opportunities to begin things that, that will only grow and deepen as they grow older. Mm. Um, There's a great book on that topic uh, called A Thinking Love by Karen Glass, and she basically takes home education by Charlotte Mason and takes out all the parts that are not as (laughs) relevant to the modern person, right? About like the type of clothing to wear in, you know, 1870s England, like not necessarily the top things we need to know. And so, and it's a really helpful resource because she even provides discussion questions. My Mm -hmm. co-op that I was in last year, we used it uh, for discussion for a Mm -hmm. book study. And it was just really well done because it really boils down like the most important information from home education and mm-hmm. then expands on it and gives opportunities to think it through, narrate, et cetera. So let's keep going. So in the midst of life's duties and delights, we can cultivate a richly humane life. Brooke, what comes into your mind when I say that? Like when we say that phrase, like oh, a humane life, what, what are we meaning by that?
1: Children are born persons is what comes to mind and i learned that from charlotte mason which is her first principle but i don't think i realized so just a little backstory: when i was saved at 19 in college i did not grow up in a christian home and so everything was so new to me when when i came to faith at 19. And so I felt like already I was a little behind as far as I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow around, you know, things of the faith and all of these terminologies. And so I just, God gave me a desire to learn, to learn about him, to read his word. And so I'm so grateful that 13 years later, that desire has not waned. I love to learn. I love to learn about him. But what's interesting is that I had in my mind, what I thought was, you know pretty solid doctrine or you know theology i could you know think about talk about and when i read home education i thought you know maybe i don't know i don't know all that i think that i know because i had never read and i have a shelf full of great parenting books from a christian perspective and All of them, I would say, maybe not all of them, that's a bit of a strong word, but most of them did not do that very thing of really understanding that children are born persons and then building on that with everything else that they said. And so when I hear that just a humane life, it is treating people as truly being in the image of God and that Christians in particular are the only people who do that. When you think about it, Christians are the only people who have the world view that we give dignity and worth to other image bearers. And so, and, and the thing that was sad to me, that was, it's back to that almost like principle and practice thing. I wanted the practice of just help me be a Christian parent. So I read all these practical Christian parenting books and they did not give me a high view of man and children. And so it was like, I was doing all of this over here and it wasn't until truly the classical tradition was open to me that I was like, Whoa, we have missed it. Like we have missed it or I have missed it. I won't say we, but it was, it was a shift in our parenting for my husband and I, and I'm just so grateful. So not only am I learning these principles for home education, But I mean, truly, they have changed me as a person and the way that I relate to my children, especially in this quiet growing time in these early years. And so a lot of people are shocked when I say we read really good books. I don't focus too much on numbers and letters and sounds and all of that I think people are shocked at times and I certainly felt that way with my oldest when everyone was going off to school and I was keeping him home and then I was worried like when he got around his peers would he know the ABCs I mean that sounds so silly because he does know them but you know at that time this is it's just a whole different starting point and then everything else you do but at the same time, it feels a little awkward because people that are not, you know, pursuing the same type of life and because it is a holistic view of personhood, then it, it can feel a little like unsettling to the first time, I think, homeschool mom when you're just like, and I know with you saying that, you know, you're a second generation homeschooler. So maybe you um, don't feel angsty at all, which is amazing. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm like, just the man. I'm just <laughs> but all of us, I would say a, a, a good majority of us that are are maybe, you know, paving this path for our families, you know, we're the first generations doing it, then it just, you know, if again, that philosophy and those principles aren't what are, is grounding you, then you will just feel super unsteady and you will be reaching for and grabbing for things to soothe in a lot of ways, I think an insecurity or an or an anxiety, that the Lord, when when you take that to the Lord, he can deal with it. But when you're picking up, you know, another book, or researching more curriculum, or no, he's so behind now, because I just had a play date, and he doesn't know how to count to 10. And you just feel like you can just lose your footing so easily. And so I think, thinking of that, hearing you read that is just a reminder that, you know, this is a whole life And again, it goes back to you have to have a long view because if I'm just thinking of six and under, then number one, I have just missed it. But specifically, there is so much richness in that time for laying this foundation that is going to help exceedingly when you get to formal lessons, that if you miss this time or rush through it, or maybe just squander it, to be honest, just kind of, don't do anything to really cultivate and craft a home in an environment that really helps this flourish then yeah then you'll you'll feel just super angsty which is what i did you know again you know leading up to making the final decision we are homeschooling i mean i didn't even tell people So when people asked, hey, where were you at school sign up? I just felt so nervous today. (laughs) I felt so nervous just to say, you know, then I went, I mean, this is a true story. So if anyone out there is listening, can, you know, I'm with you. You're in good company. But really, I mean, it was so new, even for my family that when they were like, hey, is he starting? I just went off, you know, he has a summer birthday. It's late. We're just going to keep him home another year. When I knew what I was doing, I just did not have the confidence to say it. It just felt way too, you know, and so, and I don't think that now, praise the Lord, but you know, really starting out, that's what it was like. I mean, it just felt, who do I think that I am? You know, going back to almost what you were saying about the expert. And here I am thinking, who do I think that I am, that I can do this? And um, I just heard Missy Winkler give um, an example of this that was so helpful for me when she said, I can take the responsibility for my children, but I would not try to craft out a plan for someone else's and for whatever reason I paused that podcast went and told my husband commonplace it because I was like that's the re- that's the truth I can take the responsibility for my family and my children um, and not saying that here's exactly what you need to do the exact way that you need to do it in the order that you need to do it for your children and your home Amanda those are two different things. And so just even that way saying, like, I can own my responsibility because God's made me their mom and I know them best and I'm going to advocate for them the best. And so I, I can do that. And for whatever reason, that was just such an encouragement to me, even just recently.
0: Well, and I think just hearing everything you're saying, while I might not have ever felt the pressure necessarily to prove to other people that my kids are at a certain level Mm -hmm. of knowledge Mm -hmm. um, by comparison, maybe at Sunday school or something like that. Yeah. um, I definitely think we all can understand the anxiety of being moderns who think in everything, who think everything in terms of quantifiability, right? right? So counting to 10 is this box on a paper that we can check, Right um snuggles on the couch reading a book you can check out the book so maybe if you like really need a list okay write down the book but there are so many things happening in that moment mm-hmm. that cannot mm-hmm. be oops your video stopped let's see oh there you are um there are so many things that cannot be quantified about a nourishing and enriching life yeah. um, now when we talk about humane i think everything you said was just so true and so uh, so right on um but the word that comes to mind from a classical perspective, is that of humanitas, right? You hear a lot of people in the classical world talking about, right, it's the humanities, right? Um, The humanities are those things that refer to nurturing a person to reach their full capacity to mature as a human and their abilities that are unique to human beings, right? Language, creating, speaking, building right these animals cannot do these things humans do these things and so as we are seeking to create a humane environment for our children it's an opportunity for their verbal self their creative or uh, imaginative self to express their humanity and we see there's so many ways in which the modern time where everyone is treated like a machine and where we are so focused on productivity at the loss of a quality life, right? So our goal is for a child to be properly educated, growing up to be ordered rightly, right? To be ordered towards God, towards the universe and towards man, right? Those are the threefold categories that we can evaluate. Well, humans are worshipers of God. Humans love their neighbor. Humans behold creation. And once again, tie it back, worship God, right? So it's this threefold part and process that goes into leading this humane life. So we want to make a distinction though, that when we talk about somebody leading a humane life, um, we're not talking about their value as a person. So there's a fancy word for that, it's ontology, right? Which is the study of being, what something is in itself, And so a person is an image bearer of God. That's who they are, right? A person, whatever they do or do not do, that doesn't change. That on this earth, they are a human made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. But there are ways in which a person could live in harmony with their creation as an image bearer or disharmony with that. And part of parenting young children is this process of teaching our children to live out their humanity. So I have another quote from C.S. Lewis from Abolition of Man. He says, the little human animal will not at first have the right responses. It must be trained to feel pleasure, liking, disgust, and hatred at those things which really are pleasant, likable, disgusting, and hateful. In the Republic, the well-nurtured youth is one who would see most clearly whatever was amiss in ill-made works of man or ill-grown works of nature, and with a just distaste would blame and hate the ugly even from his earliest years, and would give delighted praise to beauty, receiving it into his soul and being nourished by it so that he becomes a man of gentle heart. All this before he is of, he is of an age to reason, so that when reason at length comes to him, then bred as he has been, he will hold out his hand and welcome and recognize her because of the affinity he bears to her. The simple version of this is, as Brandy Penzel would say, exposure breeds taste. Hmm. So when we're talking about cultivating a humane life, it really comes down to the atmosphere of our home the Mm -hmm. way we order our days the way we spend our time the things we have our children do with their bodies the food we feed them with the books we read them all these things cultivate them as a person and are ordering them towards the good Mm -hmm. they're they're helping them again live into their nature as made in god's image Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where you know I know for both Brooke and I, we would fundamentally reject any worldview that sees children as like a less evolved human being or less valuable in any way, having less dignity because they can't make their own choices and an adult could come and impose their will on a child. So therefore the adult is some superior in some way. We would reject that, right? Kind of like you were talking about earlier with uh, your parenting, Brooke, it's so true that a big change that changed my mentality, I should say, even more than my practices, though there were certainly many practices that also changed. Was just realizing that as a godly parent, I do not have a right to manipulate my children. Right? Like, that's inhumane. It is inhumane to wield fear, intimidation, um, bribery, you know, (laughs) rewards, wield those as tools against my children because as the older person, I know what I could use to make them do what I want. Right? 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 A very different mindset versus using, whether it be discipline or habits or the presentation of living ideas to nurture them towards Mm. godliness, to nurture them towards righteousness, to to do it from a place of love and to always do it with the goal of their best interest in mind, right? It's never about my convenience. It's not about what is easy for me, but it's about what is best for them. And children have great hypocrisy radars. They know (laughs) when we're doing things that are what's because it's best for them versus when we're doing it when it's best for ourselves. The more children I have who can talk, the more I'm aware that they are very aware of
1: that because they will tell me. Listening to you makes me think of the, um, I'm not sure if you've read this, but the James K. Smith, the what um, you are, what you love. So the, what you do is doing something to you. And who was it? The Ordo Amoris, that the the rightly ordering of, and I mean, just listening to that last little bit that you said, I mean, when I just think of motherhood in regard to what you just said, we are just so far from that reality and that understanding. I mean, my husband and I now, when we, you know, we we had to change so much of our speech, so much of our language, um, which again, I thought you know, we're doing this right and biblically and we were in, 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 you know, many of the ways, but just what you said, I mean, we will find ourselves now. I was like, Ooh, was that a bribe? Maybe it was, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, don't say that. And then we'll like pause. And it's like, what do we, what do we say? You know, or we'll have to think of like, you know, just like on the spot. And that's just the reality when, when you, what, you know, Brandy's quote, the exposure breed says, as you are more exposed to your habits or your ways or you know, just what is natural in your home, you then start to realize, okay, I, I see how this is this is everywhere. This is how we talk. This is all of those things. And so just the awareness is in so many ways, I think the first step where we can really begin to change and just turn, you know, in repentance to the Lord and say, God help me and change me. I now see, right? I My, my eyes were darkened to this reality. And now, that I see. And so, yeah, that's just good. And, and I think one of the most encouraging things, and one of the things that has just encouraged me about you in your friendship is that you have a high view of man, of God, and your work and role as a mom. And that is very hard to find. I think it's increasingly harder, the more and more we move away from a Christian culture and nation, that it's just going to be harder that when you decide to to parent this way and live this way, then um, yeah, it's it's just going to be tough, and it's not going to be you know what you see around you. Even at times amongst you know people maybe in your peer group and at your church and in your community, and sometimes that can be very disheartening and discouraging.
0: When as we're continuing to have this, think through this of cultivating humane life for young children, for our families, for everyone. Um, There's a great quote from how you mentioned Kevin Clark and Robbie Jane in their book, The Liberal Arts Tradition, and they say this, they say creatures formed in God's image must be cultivated in body and soul, mind, will, and affections. The Christian classical education tradition embodies just this kind of holistic and fully integrated curriculum that a thoroughly Christian understanding of human nature demands. It does so when the seven seven liberal arts are taken as part of a larger model consisting of what we term piety, gymnastic, music, liberal arts, philosophy, and theology. This full-orbed education aims at cultivating fully integrated human beings whose bodies, hearts, and minds are formed respectively by gymnastic, music, and the liberal arts, whose relationship with God, neighbor, and community are marked by piety whose knowledge of the world, man, and God fit harmoniously within a distinctly Christian philosophy and whose lives are informed and governed by theology forged from the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, as it has been handed down through the church in historic Christianity. So that's the end. Like you were talking about earlier, that is our end. That is the person that we are prayerfully seeking to cultivate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll, as a caveat through all this, I think oftentimes the modern person's reaction when you hear people talking about principles or talking about end goals for a human, an immediate kind of reaction to that is you can't control the outcome of your child. You can't control who they become. Mm -hmm. And we completely understand that. We're not suggesting that this is a system by which you will, oh, you know, push A, B, C, and D, and you will get E as the outcome. That's Mm -hmm. not what we're talking about. But what we are saying is that God has made this world a certain way, And Mm. that God has given us many many riches in the things that Kevin Clark and Robbie Jane just described as a means to shape people. Mm. And that it's also not, the raising of children is also not completely arbitrary and random. Like you just do your best and God's going to like roll a dice and decide whether or not your child is in the kingdom or not, right? We can do things to nurture them towards the kingdom or away from the kingdom. And so that is obviously a heavy emphasis for us is, You know, our children are all young. We don't know what God has for their futures. But at the end of the day, we know, like Brooke was sharing, that our responsibility before the Lord is to give them as much of the true, the good, and the beautiful, which we're going to get to that actually next. So great transition there for me. Um, The true, the beautiful, to point them towards Christ, who is the true, Mm -hmm. the good, the beautiful. So I just gave Mm -hmm. a little bit away of where we're going with this, but I'm just going to keep going because that's great. So that phrase, truth, goodness, and beauty, is commonly used in the classical world, on Twitter, Instagram, everyone is using it. What does it mean? doesn't mean anything. Who knows? Uh, No, we know. We're going to talk about it. So uh, let me start, though, with just definitions, right? So the definition of truth is conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is, or has been, or shall be. That's from Webster, 1828. I never trust modern dictionaries. I
1: (laughs) I I love love the the 1828 emphasis.
0: Okay, Okay. So in his book, Awakening Wonder, Dr. Stephen Turley wrote that the Greek word for truth is aletheia, which connotes a sense of disclosure. So it's truth in the sense of unhiddenness and disclosedness of the state of affairs, which exhibit itself and is therefore perceived in its actuality. Right, we live in the day that is very much captured by Pilate standing before our Lord, right? Of what is truth? And yet, mm-hmm. biblically speaking, and historically, traditionally speaking, truth is first of all Christ, and secondarily, it's God the way God has made the world. And because we believe it is started and originates in the mind of God, we believe it's discoverable, it can be known, um, especially first and foremost, again, through the holy scriptures. Mm-hmm. I'll keep going goodness is excellence or perfection, right? So the creation account in Genesis, God saw that it was very good. The term Mm -hmm. agathos, agathos, good, is an an adjective, which can, can, I'm sorry, hold on. I'm gonna read that again. The term agathos, good, is an adjective um, that connotates the significance or excellence of a thing or person and was eventually developed by philosophers to designate the goal, purpose, or meaning of existence. That's another quote from Dr. Turley. And then thirdly, you have beauty, which is intrinsic order, harm, harmony, symmetry, a pleasing form that moves the soul towards it. In Webster, it says, the word beauty is used to express what is pleasing to the senses or to the understanding. Beauty armed with virtue bows the soul. I thought that was so mm, beautiful.
1: I love that.
0: The thing about beauty that I think is probably the thing that we have to put the most effort into defining uh, is that we're not merely talking about aesthetics though it's certainly not less than aesthetics right we're, we're not trying to suggest that beauty is only transcendent and has nothing to do with the material world no it definitely has to do with the, the material world mm-hmm. at the same time the thing as i was researching this and especially reading dr turley's book is the emphasis of classical writers throughout history was that beauty is this thing that moves you mm. and you really can see that Personified in in um, in Greek stories through the muses, right, who move you with wonder towards the good, the true, the beautiful, or through sirens, right, who could move you towards evil and wreck yeah. your life, right? <laughs> um, we're definitely going to have to ha- talk about that as we talk about <laughs> women, right? Because yes. um, spoiler alert, God made women to be beautiful, and yeah. there's a whole lot that goes into that though. That comes with this idea though that beauty moves you, but it's moving you towards something and so there's a positive way we see this and a negative right and so when the greeks or the church uses this trifold goodness truth and beauty they're meaning obviously the positive sense in which beauty that's moving us towards god right and with all three once again that they are objective right that it's not arbitrary Mm -hmm. it's not subjective truth is not subjective whether or not something is good is not subjective um and even beauty has Mm -hmm rules that would help us determine whether or not something is beautiful or not. Mm. Um, A lot of that is also tied to cosmic piety, right? So that's something that, you know, before Christ, the classical tradition began with the Greeks and Romans, and you see them kind of viewing the world as this cosmic order, right? Mm. That there's harmony and there's, there's order and it's being ruled, but there's ambiguity still about, well, who is ruling it? It, You know, the gods, Mm. how are they Mm. ruling it? Mm. Things of the nature Um, I'll read Dr. Turley again. He said, for the Greeks, there was a profound sense that one was truly human only to the extent that one lived in a harmonious relationship with the cosmos. This piety entailed that every person born into the world was born with a divine obligation. We were all born into a morally defined cosmic order and were thus obliged to live in a way con con Concomitant hmm, with that moral order. Truth, goodness, and beauty were not merely subjective preferences or private opinions, but rather three distinct yet interrelated manifestations of the divine reality of the cosmos. Now, of course, in Christian theology, we can hear all that and we're like, you're just like shouting in your brain, it's Christ, it's (laughs) the Lord. Like, (laughs) Jesus is the one who ordered the universe. Like, like, he is the answer to all their questions. And I think that's one of the great joys of classical education as yes. you read many things by pagan people and you're like yeah. um guys like not to be like sunday school answer here but literally christ is the yeah. answer to all of your questions right. and there's such a beauty in that to see how god was preparing even the gentile world yeah for christ to arrive on the scene and yet many things about how the greek world thought very gnostic right it was the soul is good and the body is bad and so they you know the truth the goodness the truth the good and the beautiful were up here they were above they were your soul they were ideas the ideal Mm -hmm. types but the physical world was like this earthy you know thing Mm -hmm. that just you're just wanting to be free from free from and yet christ comes and suddenly in the incarnation you have this cosmic piety oriented towards the god man who took on flesh And suddenly now, not only is the spiritual realm set apart and this opportunity for worship, but everything about us, the entire creation is groaning in anticipation of the return Mm -hmm. of Christ and the resurrection, right? This resurrection hope. So one final quote from Dr. Shirley. That book is so good. I recommend it to everyone. He says, with the emergence of Christian civilization, Christians tapped into this cosmic piety, but they also radically altered it. Christians certainly affirm that all people are born into a world of divine obligation. However, they introduce something wholly new by transferring this cosmic piety away from the planets and celestial spheres and imputing it onto Christ, who is the logos, the new creation in whom all things hold together and through whom God is revealed as the infinite fountain of Trinitarian love and delight. And it is the church, the Ecclesia, that fulfills this divine obligation by reconstituting time and space around Christ through word and sacrament thus enabling us to fulfill our divine purpose and thereby become truly human. Brooke, what are you thinking as I'm reading that? I mean, it's just uh, such a beautiful quote.
1: I mean, my mind is just, I, I, my mind is blowing. And then I think this is how big the incarnation was. And this is why it was such a stumbling block because they, they could not wrap their minds around what they were seeing the harmony that they were seeing but then god descending to put on flesh and i think of john one fourteen, right the word became flesh the logos flesh and it changed everything it changed history and by god's grace it's still changing people it changed me at 19 and by that same grace it will change my sons and you know this is what we're moving towards and ordering them towards and and when you think about and just i think just pause and even the quotes that you have shared just now in this you know podcast like historically that's what we're doing we are reaching back and saying this is our heritage like this is what is true not so much of like what we're seeing today where Truth is outside of you. It's truth is inside of you, not outside of you. It can be whatever it wants. I mean, it's just such a different world and very pagan. But at the same time, it's just interesting when you look back and see just what you said that all of these thousands of years ago, these pagans got so close. And, um, you know, we live here, right? I think of Acts 17, where it talks about you're mentioning like the Gnostic. I mean, how many of our New Testament letters is Paul addressing that very thing, right? So, this is very much so a... unbelievable to them. No, They're no, like, no right. way
0: you're saying that the physical world no, is good.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it got him beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and all of the things because he was saying this. Ordered world that you see, right? In Acts, where he's, you know, saying to the unknown God that y'all are writing to, or just leaving there just in case. I'm saying it's Christ, like that's who it is. It's Jesus, and man, I just think that of God's grace that that we live on now, right? Where where we get not the complete story because that's not going to be complete until you know the second advent when Christ comes again finally to finish it all but you know we we have a whole story and a whole tradition that we're able to look back so that when i said earlier you know i felt kind of isolated and floundering when i really just you know change my books i like changed my bookshelf there's really um just so many friends and witnesses that can testify to this truth goodness and beauty that i don't feel so odd or angsty when I read back and I think, no, this is this is just what I'm trying to recover. That's it.
0: You know you're probably on the path to being a classical person when you stop caring so much what modern people <laughs> like if modern people feel like you fit in with yes, them and you're yes. like, I don't really care what you think. But yes. like would Saint Sophia want to be my friend? Like then like, <laughs> I think we're I'm fine. I don't care what anyone else thinks. Like right. But but what about Saint Bridget? Like I wanna yeah. know what St. Bridget or Augusty or any you know, like we have these people right human beings who carried Mm. the faith, who transmitted the faith Mm. faithfully over 2000 years, and they become your friends in a very weird way. Maybe it's not weird. Maybe we think of it as weird now because we're Mm. modern, but it truly is shaping everything about you as you're blessed Mm. and edified by them and brought into that great conversation that they've been having about this exact thing. Like the fact that the incarnation is this topic that people Mm. have been writing about for 2000 years and probably will, we'll we'll probably be able to just keep talking and writing about it forever because like it's so incredible that God could do that and how Mm -hmm. he did it. It's just, we don't, Mm -hmm. we can't even comprehend. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, as we're thinking about truth, goodness, and beauty, it really makes me think how our culture just so often demeans people, right? Going back to what we had said earlier about a failure Mm -hmm. to understand that children are born persons, that they're image bearers of God. But if you think in terms of truth, goodness, and beauty, we're habitually demeaned through terrible aesthetics, right? Spectacle driven entertainment. We think that children have no interest in learning unless we make it a show for them. Um, Information driven educational methods, right? That treats them like a brain on a stick or a brain with a bucket that just, we're just gonna put all the right facts in. And Mm. it's not about shaping your affections or your loves. Even though they're doing that, they're actually doing that the whole time by orienting you towards you know, your work and making lots of money or whatever thing that they're actually communicating to you is of real value and why you're gonna do all this boring school stuff. But really all of this is just making for very lean and starving souls, right? (laughs) As we don't have cultures abounding in truth, goodness, and beauty, you have many starving people who are spiritually, Mm. physically, and emotionally, psychologically starving for truth, goodness, and beauty that is met in Christ and been transmitted by the church. Mm. Um, I I don't think it's a surprise to have read many articles that suggested that coming out of 2020 and all the upheaval Mm. of that year, that many people have started going to church because they're craving yeah. it so much. Right. And they found out that living at home alone, watching Netflix all day, every day was not a satisfying mm. life. And right. they're hungering for more and yet they don't know where to turn. And that's where for us as Christians, as the church, we need to be pointing them to Christ. Mm. And that means everything though. that's that's right. It's not less than a gospel presentation, but it's so much more than that as well.
1: Right, right.
0: Okay, so we, we've we kind of talked about this a little bit, so we'll just move through it um, hopefully a little quickly. But um, when we say that we're inviting them to join us as we talk about how to craft homes, right? The word craft, homemaking, another word for homemaking could be, it's a domestic art, right? Um, as people who spend a lot of time thinking about the liberal arts, the arts that make us free, um, <laughs> It's very much in my mind the spaghetti mind of a woman that I have and i'm like well this all fits perfectly together with my role in the home and and the art and skill of making a home uh, right proverbs 14 1 talks about that a right. wise woman builds her house and the foolish one tears it down with her own hands that is a word picture that can cause me great trepidation as I realize the work of what we are doing but this is not right. a small that there is a great responsibility, like you said earlier. And thank God, we only have to take responsibility for our own children, right? It's not our right. job to solve for the whole world. Um, but
1: right.
0: that alone is, is a great job. <laughs> Many times, probably multiple times a week, my husband and I will sit and look at our five children and be like, what a gift and what a responsibility, because we just <laughs> feel, feel the weight of the love and the weight of the responsibility, right. all the same. which I think is a common uh, experience for parents. And obviously we talk about crafting in the home because home is where that work is done. Right. Yeah. So much of a child's life, especially if they're homeschooled, the great majority of their life is spent Mm -hmm. in our home. And so there's a real exciting, exciting opportunity with that because our homes are the primary place they're being shaped. But obviously there's Mm -hmm. also the great risk that if our home is not a display of the true, the good, and the beautiful, if our home is not ordered rightly towards God, man, and the universe, if our home is not, displaying what it is to be a place of communion with God, of love, of grace, of mercy, then that will also affect our children. And so we have to really think these things through. Um, Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Brooke.
1: That reminds me of there's, and I'm going to mess it up right this second. I don't have it right in front of me, but Rebecca Merkel has a quote and I actually put it in our co-op packet that I gave to the moms at our last co-op. But the idea is basically that, you know, home is the place that can build up or shatter. Like it's going to flourish. Like it'll, it'll provide shade for you to flourish or it will leave a gaping wound. And the woman is at the helm of that. And I feel myself tearing up because that's the reality. And so many of us have stories where that is maybe our reality, where home for us was a place of flourishing or a place that left great wounds. And, you know, um, I think just what you are saying, realizing that, that as amazing as this gift is, it is a, a big responsibility that we have and the decisions that we make, it just matters. And I think the more and more we move, you know, away from, you know, just post Christian, the less and less you're going to hear about this work or about the beauty. I mean, all of us probably have examples of, of being in a home. And just like you're saying, aesthetics are a part of that, but not the whole thing. And you know, when you walk in the home, like if Christ was King, and I knew that as a child, when I went to friends' homes, that they were just different. And I just think of that often now, as I have my own children, you know, am I crafting a home that is hospitable toward them? I mean, just the people that live here, and then certainly other people that would come in, like would they would they be drawn to beauty and truth and goodness, you know, just by that? And so it's it's a big task, um, but it's one that's that's worth the work. But that's it just takes work and work that a lot of us are not. We just don't even think about like giving our our best to it.
0: Well, the modern world definitely treats the home like. It's, a, it's drudgery, right? That true right. fulfillment can be found in, yeah. you know, really impressive things like being an accountant or <laughs> something, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like, that, that's your proof. But, um, and so a quote that I have come back to many times that I love so much uh, is by G.K. Chesterton. He wrote a, well, he wrote a, pa- a collection of essays that he titled, What's Wrong With The World? Which, you know, we're all wondering, <laughs> right? Um, but, Uh, One of the essays in that was the emancipation or to be free, right? The emancipation of domesticity. And he says this wonderful thing that I just think really captures the heart of what we're going to keep trying to say and what we are trying to say. He says, babies need not to be taught a trade, but to be introduced to a world. To put the matter shortly, woman is generally shut up in a house with a human being at the time when he asks all the questions that there are and some that there aren't. It would be odd if she retained any of the narrowness of a specialist. Now, if anyone says that this duty of general enlightenment, even when freed from modern rules and hours and exercised upon, exercised more spontaneously by a more protected person, is in itself too exhausting, exacting and oppressive, I can understand the view. I can only answer that our race has thought it worthwhile to cast this burden on women in order to keep common sense in the world. But when people begin to talk about this domestic duty as not merely difficult but trivial and dreary, I simply give up the question, for I cannot, with the utmost energy, imagine. I'm sorry, for I cannot, with the utmost energy of imagination, conceive what they mean. When domesticity, for instance, is called drudgery, all the difficulty arises from a double meaning in the word. If drudgery only means dreadfully hard work, I admit the woman drudges in the home as a man might drudge at the cathedral of Amiens or drudge behind a gun at Trafalgar. But if it means that the hard work is more heavy because it is trifling, colorless, and of small import to the soul, then I say I give it up. I do not know what the word means. To be Queen Elizabeth within a definite area, deciding sales, banquets, labors, and holidays. To be Whitley within a certain area, providing toys, boots, sheets, cakes, and books. To be Aristotle within a certain area, teaching morals, manners, theology, and hygiene. I can understand how this might exhaust the mind, but I cannot imagine how it can narrow it. How can it be a large career to tell other people's children about the rule of three and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? How can it be broad to be the same thing to everyone and narrow to be everything to someone? No, a woman's function is laborious, but because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. I will pity Mrs. Joan for the hugeness of her task. I will never pity her for its smallness. (laughs) That perspective that... We will, we will pity women for the hugeness of their task, but we will never pity them for the smallness. That is the sort of attitude that you can expect to find on this podcast. Not because we don't know that it can be hard, not because there aren't very difficult days, but because we realize that that difficulty and that hardship is because of the value of this work, that it is worthy work, that these are image bearers of God we are raising, and they deserve our full attention and love to be able to nurture them and the truth, goodness, and beauty that we've been talking about. Hmm. Any thoughts on that, Brooke, before we move on?
1: No, that's like a mic drop.
0: I know. Chesterton, right? I'm like, (laughs) I text you. Can you quote too much Chesterton in one podcast? Obviously, I I ended on no, which
1: is... (laughs) We'll see. We'll see.
0: We'll see. We'll see what what the the group thinks. Uh, Okay, so then one of the final things we say is that we are seeking to lead our children from wonder to worship, to wisdom, to work. Now, that phrase, totally taken from Dr. Christopher Perrin in his introduction to classical education, and he used that as a summary of a fabulous book, though admittedly maybe a harder read, called Leisure, the Basis of Culture by Joseph Pieper. And so here's how he broke it down. He talked about this is like the classical model for education, and it can be broken down this way, right? That with wonder, like I said earlier, all knowledge begins with wonder, then worship, right? From that place of wonder, we worship God. We are in in awe of God. We wanna praise God for his great works that he has done. Then with the goal towards wisdom, right? That as we come face to face with God, it is in the fear of the Lord that wisdom begins, right? And so as we are worshiping God, as we are communing with the Lord, we then grow in wisdom and conforming ourselves being conformed, I should say, by him to his image. And then finally, for work, because as human beings, we were in fact made to work, right? I'm sure mm-hmm. many of you have heard the, heard someone say that work is a pre-fall ordinance, right? Adam was given work, Eve was given work to tend and cultivate the garden. And so obviously we live in a fallen world and work is not easy, work, we are often tired. <laughs> we often would feel like not working. And yet part of a godly home is recovering that sense of the goodness of work, the joy of labor, and especially the fruit of that labor, right? That it is worth it and that the results of it will be a blessing to those we love. Something that I often think about is that I am not raising my children for some sentimental, emotional need for me, right? It's not about me Mm -hmm. having people to snuggle, though I love that, or for, um, you know, just, oh, just stay a baby forever. I'm like, no, I'm Mm -hmm. raising you to be godly adults. I'm raising you to be people who will run hard after the kingdom of God. And this fourfold formula, if you wanna call it that, formula is not the best word, probably this model, right? This fourfold model is the vision for how to do that, right? On, my, on our hardest days, if it's like, okay, what are we doing? Why am I here? What, what is happening right now? Wonder, wisdom, worship, work. Or I'm sorry, wonder, worship, wisdom, work, right? Yes. That is what we are striving for in our homes. And it can just reorient us again and again as we look back to, to Christ and the source um, as we craft our homes and make them something that honors him, Lord willing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Our intro then says, we're doing all this for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Take take it away.
1: What are we talking about? Yeah. So my first thought was, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that for me has just been almost what you said, an anchoring or a a peg that I can go back to when I think uh, on those days of what am I doing? What am I here for? And it's just the greatest commandment summed up, love God and love neighbor. And sometimes when I'm, you know, like in a frenzy and I'm wondering the exact same thing, I'm going to use the model that you just gave um, because that's really helpful. But before that, then I would just ask those questions. You know, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness, Just what, so all of that, the truth, the goodness, and the beauty, that is what we're after. Um, And one of the verses that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is 2 Corinthians 4 6, which says, For God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So again, if Christ is our ideal type, that's just where we're headed. And on days when it feels like I'm failing and I have failed and I need to turn in repentance to God, and to my children or to my husband, then I can just say, am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? And it's just a huge pivot for me that the the glory of God and the good of mankind, that's what we're doing to glorify him and to enjoy him because that's that's where we're headed. That's we're on our journey to the celestial city, as um, Christian would say in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Pro- Progress, which is... Um, just the book that is talked about the most in my home in this season. Uh, My son has just been captivated, my oldest, by the idea of that. So Christian comes up in just about every conversation every day. And so, but it's been such, it's, it's one of those that just captured his imagination that he's been able to hold on to this pilgrim's journey of what it looks like to glorify God and doing it for the good of others, him having to make, Decisions Like today we read and Christian plugged his ears and like ran towards the gate. And my son was just like, why did he do that? You know, was it because he didn't want to be tempted to turn around? And I was just like, yeah, like, because when God calls us, we obey like we are his. And when he calls us, we, we follow him. Like our response is obedience. Yeah. So, and so it's just, it's one of those things. So man, it's just the glory of God and the good of mankind. That's what we're doing.
0: Uh, Yeah. That's you, you already kind of went where we're going, which is with repentance, right? Because as we often recognize we're not doing things for the glory of God, or we haven't rightly (laughs) been loving man. Suddenly it's like, Oh man, I have a long way to go. Um, I think it's fair to say that nothing has humbled me more than reading on class, classical education because like you said mm-hmm. earlier, I've just become so aware of how much I don't know and how far yeah. I have to come. Yeah. I joked yeah. with my husband this a couple of days ago. I said, you know, studying classical education is basically like getting in a car wreck and you break some bones. So you go to the hospital and then they're like, hey, you've got this broken bone, you've got internal bleeding. Oh, by the way, you also have cancer. <laughs> You're like, I thought I was I thought I thought was well when I got in this car only to realize mm. I've actually been sick and broken this whole time and I'm in need yeah. of healing. I'm in need of the great physician to come in and do his work on me, um, yeah. which is not fun, is often painful and yet is so good and necessary. And it's yeah. a, it's a yeah. wonderful thing, but it's not an easy thing. Huh. Mm-hmm. which ties to our one of our final lines, which says, let us make the education of the youths our own education. So that is actually a direct quote from Socrates. Uh, and uh, it's recorded by Plato in the Socratic dialogue he calls the latches. And this is what he says. This is a full quote. That every one of us should seek out the best teacher whom he can find first for ourselves who are greatly in need of one and then for the youth, regardless of expense or anything. But I cannot advise that we remain as we are. And if anyone laughs at us for going to school at our age, I would quote to them the authority on the authority of Homer, who says that modesty is not good for a needy man. Let us then, regardless of what may be said of us, make the education of the youths our own education. Hmm. The first time I read that quote, I just commonplaced it, underlined it, called my husband, like, I'm like, we need to talk about this because it's so clearly articulated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, I'm the needy man. I am a needy woman who is like, as I'm reading these things, Becoming so aware of just how insufficient I am in myself, how many deficiencies I have in mm-hmm. my affections, how un, mm-hmm. how disordered I often am, that I am so often not ordered properly towards the right things, and yet, like you shared earlier about getting to do first grade again, this whole process of being home educators is this opportunity to make our children's education our own education. Oh in that learning with them sitting under the teachers of the great tradition as we read great books or even read books that are in preparation for the great books like mm-hmm. the fairy tales fables etc uh, there's one more quote that is just really connected to this idea that uh, also captures why repentance is so essential it's by dr george grant who is just an incredible he's enjoyed i love enjoyed him.
1: i love i love, I love yeah. this quote i love him i love this quote
0: Fun, fun story about how people change. <laughs> I, probably a year or two ago, Brooke, Autumn, Kern, and I were chatting it up, and they they brought up the whole, you know, education is repentance, and I was like, hey, "Is it though? I mean, like, I don't know. I don't really. I don't know if I would describe it that way." I totally pushed back and was like, "Apparently, I was being obstinate that day. I don't know." But now, <laughs> <laughs> so we just plug I'm our not- ears. Yes. like I did not always understand why this quote is so important, but now it's one of my favorites. So glory to God. Yes. As I say. Yes. Okay. True education is a form of repentance. It is a humble admission that we've not read all that we need to read. We don't know all that we need to know, and we've not yet become all that we are called to become. Education is that unique form of discipleship that brings us to the place of admitting our inadequacies. It is that remarkable rebuke of autonomy and independence, so powerful and so evident that we actually shut up and pay heed for a change. <laughs> yep, that is me. Yep. I was just learning to shut up and receive and learn and repent often of my insufficiencies my failures, you know, as I think about preparing for our episode next week on becoming a mother of virtue, my first thought Mm. is I'm so often not a mother of virtue. Like that is why I need classical education. That is why I need Mm. the great tradition. Not because I'm suddenly the woman with all the answers. It's because I so don't have all the answers that I am like a hungry soul running after trying to get nourishment from all these resources and hopefully by the grace of God to craft a life based on wisdom and not my own opinion about things. Mm. So to close us out, Brooke, <laughs> we say that this is an invitation to go further up and further in together. Obviously, the most basic understanding of that is to realize that life is a journey, right? That we're on this journey of life, we're on uh, pilgrim's progress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but where is this quote from, Brooke? Could you share with us and, and close out our time today?
1: So this quote is coming from chapter 15, of The Last Battle, which is the series of The Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis. And we are big fans of Lewis. This is another book and story that this is what just captivated all of our minds our home i will say changed reading through narnia together as a family and it was this ending this chapter that for me i commonplace the whole thing and so we wanted to end our time together today with you thinking about where we're headed what is our aim where are we going Um, and it goes like this It is hard to explain how the sunlit land was different from the old Narnia, as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. As you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again. in the looking glass in the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones. Yet, at the same time, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in the story. In a story you have never heard but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked like this one. Bree, come further up, come further in. Thank you for joining us today as we sought to participate
0: in The Great Conversation. You can find our show notes for today's episode, including all the quotes and book titles mentioned, by heading over to the Wonder Years Podcast Substack. If you have any questions regarding today's episode, we would love to hear from you at wonderearspodcast at gmail.com. In addition, we would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Finally, you can find both of us on Substack. My Substack is titled A Classical Woman, and Brooke's is A Pilgrim's Way. Brooke is also on Instagram at her handle, underscore Brooke Johns. Cheers, friends. Until next time.